Welcome to Carry the Light. I'm your host, Carrie Alexander. During your time here, we'll explore all things positive to brighten up your day and light up the world around you. We'll talk to regular folks about doing extraordinary things, hear fantastic stories, get a little creative in the world of happiness, and learn how you can change the world. Now sit back and relax. Let's carry the light. As I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. Andrew Carnegie. People have been watching our next guest for decades. Three-time Emmy Award-winning journalist Lee Marshall spent 20 years on the anchor desk before pursuing her passion with a purpose. Born into foster care, Lee was adopted by a wonderful family. She knows firsthand how a forever family makes a difference. That knowledge and her drive led her to create Kids to Love, an organization that has impacted the lives of more than 265,000 foster kids. We'll talk to her next on Carry the Light. Leah is a multi-talented person and has always been strong in her faith and mission. And Lee, I'm so excited to talk to you today about Kids to Love and all the amazing work that you're doing. So thanks for joining us. Uh, it's so great to connect again. <laughs> Absolutely. After so many years. Well, first of all, <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about how many years though, <laughs> no, 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 no. because we're so young. Um, so first of all, tell us about Kids to Love and why you were inspired to make such an impact. Well, Kids to Love is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to meet the immediate needs of children in foster care. And for me, it really is personal. I was born into foster care and was adopted by an amazing, loving family. Through that adoption, I was given opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And for me, I understand that I could be any of the kids that we get to come in contact with every day that could have grown up in the system. And that's really what motivates me to serve our kids and to serve them bigger and better and to meet them where they are and to create programs that truly solve social problems to attack the issue of poverty, to attack the concern of education, because we know the number one way out of poverty is education. And so we really try to become a gateway for our kids to get a strong education, but to nurture them, love them and meet their needs along the way. You know, you have a personal story, but I don't think a lot of us truly realize what life is like for a foster child. I know I've done some work um, here locally with the Sheriff's Youth Ranch, and you know, some of the kids have to carry their belongings around in a garbage bag. Or, you know, I know the story of one little boy who had on the same pair of underwear for four months. Um, or some of their highest intake times are during the holidays. So what, what can you tell us about what life is like for a foster child? You know, it's really sad to me that in America today that we have kids treated the way that they're treated in the foster care system. Um, you know, I, I look at kids that I've come in contact with, and you're right, most of them move in a garbage bag. Um, we, when we move girls into our group home at Davidson Farms, you know, we give them luggage, brand new luggage. Um, and a lot of our girls tell us that that's the first time they've ever had a suitcase. And we're talking teenagers who have moved their entire life in the foster care system. 
Um, I have kids that come in with literally the clothes on their back. I had one little girl that came in last summer to our home and everything she had was in a small bag and it was wet. And I don't know if where she was moved from, they had tried to wash it, but it had been wet and just, you opened up the bag and it just soiled. And, you know, we immediately, what size clothes do you wear? We took her and bought her, you know, everything she needed. Um, what I love about it is, um, and she's still with us, but, you know, when we do have girls that for whatever reason leave the farm, if it's to go to, um, you know, the next step on their journey or whatever, they come in maybe with the garbage bag full and they leave with it. Like, you know, we load up our, we're all moms and we load up our mm -hmm. SUVs and sometimes it takes more than one trip to get them moved. Um, foster children just, they do without and I, I just see that as such a silent epidemic of abuse in our country. That's just not okay with me. Yeah. And I can't imagine not having that bond continuously or support structure from knowing you have the security of a family, of a home, the place you know you're going to be six months from now, two years from now. And with all of your work, the sad fact remains that a majority of especially teen foster kids won't get adopted, and many won't have the opportunity for an advanced education. Um, when I read that or say it out loud, it, it really hits home for me. Uh, but I notice you are taking action with some programs with scholarships and housing. Walk us through some of the opportunities, and where did the ideas come from for you? So um, back you know, in our previous lives when we did that television news thing, <laughs> I hit on a statistic back in 2003 that between 75 and 80% of members of the juvenile justice system or prison system were former foster children. Mm. And it just, I mean, it hit me in the gut. And so while I was still in television news, I found um, a prisoner who was a former foster child. He was uh, on death row here in Alabama um, in the HIV ward. And I sat down um, and I did an interview with him <clears throat> and it was the most, um, I didn't sleep for several days going in. I didn't sleep for several weeks coming out. And this inmate who HIV had affected him so severely that the best way I can describe his memory of his brain was it was just, it was constantly firing and he would never complete a sentence. Um, it was very erratic, very random. And I asked the question, I said, when's the last time you remember seeing your mom? And this person who had been random, erratic, not finishing a sentence, it's just like this calm came over him. And he said, I was three years old and she dropped me at my grandmother's. And I remember she slammed the sliding glass door and the glass broke in shag carpet. And I was barefooted in my diaper. And I remember walking across that carpet with broken glass, cutting my feet, crying to get to my mom. Mm -hmm. To me, someone who was an adult that had chosen how he treated people he was there for capital murder for that memory to be so vivid i just thought you know what if someone had been there for him when he went through that what if we would have changed one life and so that was in 2004 as we started the organization and through that time we we would add programs that foster parents would need for support and we would do, you know, school supplies. We now do over 6,000 backpacks across four states and probably uh, we'll be coming to Florida, uh, wink, 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 in the next <laughs> couple of years. 
Um, so I'm like, yeah, we should totally take it there because I, I know some people that could help us down there. Um, and then we would grow to Christmas gifts and things like that. And so I had, um, God really gave me an idea in about 2013, about 10 years after I hit that statistic, because we would have young people on college scholarship and we've awarded over 700 college scholarships to foster youth aging out of the system. But not everybody's cut out for college. And what I found was a lot of these kids would take advantage of their scholarship, maybe their first year, their second year, but they just didn't have the support system they needed as a foster child to continue to navigate higher education. And one young man actually was a student at Alabama and making A's and B's of living in his car. And he had to drop out because he just couldn't afford it anymore. So this program that we developed is called KTech. And it's a workforce training initiative. Manufacturing is very prominent in Alabama. And we have so many auto manufacturers here that I wanted to be able to do a short-term credential skill set where our students could get a credential and go straight to work. So we launched in 2016. We have awarded 132 certifications in the first three and a half years. And we have students working in more than 20 industries uh, across our community now. And we also have articulations in place with three of our local community colleges. So we consider ourselves a pathway. Our students can come to us. In 16 weeks, they can pick up four industry-recognized certifications. When they leave us, they can go straight to work. And starting pay in some of these jobs is around $30,000 for benefits. That's a change of life for someone coming out of poverty. Or they can take the other pathway out of us, and that's to continue their education by transferring our credit into a community college. And what I try to advise our kids to do is let's get your certifications, then let's get your associate's degree, and then let's get your bachelor's degree. That way, at any point in their journey, they drop off on their education. They've at least accomplished those milestones, and they always have something to fall back on. So we're really excited about KTEC. It's, uh, it's a program like none other. And it, it's interesting. Uh, we have a lot of people reaching out to us all across the country about bringing this model to other communities. The difference with KTEC, more than any, uh, any of our other program, KTEC is the only program that we have that does not require the student to be a foster child. We serve children aging out of foster care, but we've opened this up to the community to serve anyone that we would consider under-resourced or underserved. Uh, we've got great relationships with other nonprofits in our community, our downtown rescue mission. So they do what they do well from a sobriety standpoint, a housing standpoint. And then they, then we work together on that career training side of it. So uh, it's become a beautiful partnership with other nonprofits in our community. And um, we're really seeing so many of our young people's lives be changed every single day there. That is such a fantastic idea. And I know one of the other key components that you provide is housing. And you had an, ex an exciting announcement yesterday um, <laughs> to build upon the massive structure you currently have. Why don't you tell everyone about Davidson Farms and about your brand new project? So Davidson Farms is a home for girls in North Alabama. And it's a 10,000 square foot home on 10 and a half acres. Uh, we have a beautiful main house that we are permanent residents, long-term residents to um, seven girls in the foster care system. 
We do that. Every girl gets their own room. Um, with a house that big, we certainly could double up with rooms. But for us, it's really about quality more than quantity. And to be able to serve our girls and meet them where they are, um, we even though we don't accept state or federal funding, we're licensed by the Department of Human Resources here in Alabama. That's how we're able to uh, garner access to girls in foster care. We work with social workers here. And because we're licensed by them, we serve girls ages 10 to 19. Uh, we opened our doors in 2017. We've had more than 20 girls called Davidson Farms home in the last three years. And many of our girls are there for the long term. These are young ladies that their parental rights have been terminated. Um, as you mentioned earlier, teenagers, you know, everyone wants to adopt a baby. And that really is hard for our teenage demographic. So what we have found now three years in that when one of our girls turns 20, we have to we have to let them leave and we don't want to and they're not ready to. So a vision we've had for several years that we actually broke ground on this week is our cottage community. And it's in essence a tiny house village and to our knowledge, the very first of its kind that will be transitional housing for youth aging out of foster care. Our girls will stay there 20 to 25 and that really is gonna be dependent on what their needs are. We hope that during this time they can finish their education, learn a skill set to get a job, um, just become successfully independent. You know, none of us are ready to face the world on our own when we turn 20. And when our girls grow up at the farm, we want them to always have a place to come home to. And so our first, um, our first phase of our cottage community will be five cottages with the vision of adding five more down the road. And my first four of the five will be filled within the first year. And I've got another young lady that just is turning 17 this month. So she will be my fifth cottage in just a couple of years. And what that's going to do then is free up more space in our main house to be able to serve more girls. I get calls every day uh, for girls that need placement across Alabama. And we're set up to serve both Alabama and Tennessee. And it's so hard for me to say no. And I know that we could do so much more if I just had a bedroom. And so uh, for us, we are going to uh, longer term plans are to add an additional group home. My vision there is to build a, a true community for our kids. Um, so we'll add more group homes. And then two years ago, we purchased land that's four miles from our girls home, a 22 acre plot of land that our vision is to build a boys home on that. And we I don't have a time yet timeline yet. We're. Um, still looking for the right donor to come forward that sees the value of that vision to provide long-term housing for young men aging out of care. But um, our, I tell people I am certainly not short on vision. And if I shared my vision, if I shared my vision with everybody, they'd probably run out the door screaming. Uh, but I just, I feel like that um, we're helping these kids like no one else can and truly becoming, you know, Running a nonprofit, it, it's twofold. It's service, but it's also service with excellence and service with integrity. And what I want to be is, is, is the model of a nonprofit to serve children in foster care because that's our lane. And I have people all the time that want to start their own nonprofit in this world. And I'm like, why, why don't you join forces with me? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just strengthen what we're doing? And instead of starting something new, because running a nonprofit is not easy. Uh, it's, you know, nonprofits are held to higher standards as they should be. 
and, um, you know, raising the money. Everybody thinks, oh, there's a grant out there. Well, you know, there are thousands of others applying for the same limited grant pool. Um, it's, it's all about building relationships and, and connecting with people who see the value of how you're serving. And that's not easy. But when I look at the face of our kids that really depend on me now every day, because when our girls come to Davidson Farms, I take legal custody and they're my girls. And um, so whatever they need, we're going to get it. And sometimes, you know, it's writing a check. Sometimes it's making a phone call. <laughs> uh, but whatever they need, um, you know, I, I, I tell them when they get there, listen, I got your back. And I'm not just saying it. I mean it. And um, we had one of our girls that's been at the farm about a year and a half now. And she got a call over the weekend that one of her sisters had gotten kicked out of placement. And she called Saturday morning. She was very upset. I said, just go get her. Just go get her. And she's like, but Miss Lee, I said, go get her. We'll figure it out. But I can't have a kid homeless when I know that we can make a difference and we can give that kid a safe place to live. And she's still with us and she's, she's going to be with us a little while, hopefully. Well, speaking of your girls, I mean, you are a journalist by trade, so I know you can tell a good story. But um, <laughs> your girls, um, have you seen, has there a particular story that stands out in your mind of one of the girls, how they were when they came there? And, and how they've transformed or how it's had impact or um, how it's changed their lives. Yeah. In fact, we, um, we posted a story earlier this week on our social media channels. Um, one of our girls was asked to share her story at a big dinner here this week. Um, she came to us last August and she wanted to come to KTEC. She was um, 20 and a half and at 21, quote unquote, around the system. She was living in um, independent living in Birmingham and she had lost her sister to a violent episode um, that was, she was murdered in another foster placement. And so she was just in a really dark place about a year and a half ago. So she didn't have many options at all. And in fact, she said, I thought she had saw a girl that she was in another group home with that was homeless under a bridge. And she said, I thought for sure that was going to be me because I didn't have a plan. And so she came on our radar and um, one of my team members that helps with KTEC, she said, you know, I got this great girl. She's 20. And again, technically she's not supposed to be at the farm after the age of 19. And she said, you know, she wants to come to KTEC. She meets all the requirements. And I was just like, you know, if we could get her to the farm, then we've got her because then I can do housing. I could do transportation. I knew that we would take care of her. And so um, I called and I got a, a special, um, I guess, permission from the state to let her stay to do the training with KTEC. And they said, okay, but she's got to be out the door on her 21st birthday on December 2nd. And I thought, whatever, I've got an extra room in my house. This kid's not going anywhere. <laughs> she, we got her. And so now this young lady, just in a short amount of time, she came in in August and graduated K-Tech in December. And she was getting ready to age out. And I went to her and I said, I've got a couple of options that I want you to consider. The first one is I'll get you an apartment and help you um, with housing. Because, again, she then transferred on to our community college. She's doing everything right. And I said, or would you consider coming to work with me and continuing to serve our girls at the farm in more of a mentor role? Uh, our full-time house mom does a fantastic job. 
that navigating seven girls and <laughs> cheer schedule and drama and, and everything else, because we want them to be involved in everything like normal teenagers should be, which foster children don't always get those opportunities. So I said, what if you help Miss Stacy with transportation and, and just, you know, it's so valuable for our girls to have someone who knows where they've come from. And so Takia has just brought so much life and light into our house. And so now she's technically on our team. And I joke that when we get the first cottage built, she's going to be my unofficial mayor of our cottage community. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, and, and what, what is so great is not only do we get the chance to change their life, but there is not a person on my team or a person that she comes in contact with that she's not changed our lives. Um, it gives us doing work like this. Um, it's hard. It's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. Uh, the other night I had like several, what I call fires burning. <laughs> I was just like eight o'clock. I was in bed and just, cause are you okay? I'm like, I'm just done today. I'm just done today, you know, right, but right. I had to get, I had to get a good night's sleep cause I was exhausted. Cause I'm like, I got to get up and fight the battle again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And and when I see these faces and I see the difference that we're making in their lives, I'm like, you know what? I just got to get my cup refilled so I can just pour more on them. So Carrie and I both started television <laughs> in Western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. uh, in Murray, Kentucky, mm -hmm. it was a low, low power cable station. And as we like to call yeah. it, we we were there long enough to get a good tape to get out. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Appreciated the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that was one of those, um, you really want to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we cut our teeth. And I just, I love the fact that we were able to do that together and establish an amazing friendship that here just a couple of years down the road is still in place. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, it was one of those true initiations um, of your first job, uh, knowing if you want to do this career bad enough or not, because you're not very, making very much money. Your hours are nuts. You're writing, editing, and um, I was trying to do the weather. Oh, God bless meteorologists. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, on top of anchoring and, and doing sports, and some of our, our bloopers are just too funny for words. I still tell a few of those stories as some of my most mm. embarrassing moments. But along that way, you know, when I tell people when you're going through times that are a little stressful or they're not going the way that you had them envisioned or whatever, when you get through it and you get to the other side, I mean, it's some, it brings such a big smile to my face. What horrified me then, now I'm like, you know, I survived that. We learned so much from mm -hmm. doing that together. And we did have each other to lean on and laugh about and, you know, complain to. <laughs> and, I, and that's why I also say, you know, the essence of true happiness in life is great relationships, having, yes. having wonderful people in your life. And, and for me, my, my faith in God. And on that note, it's time for your moment of light.
mentioned before, Lee is multi-talented. She has an extraordinary voice, which is also a powerful part of her ministry. I remember complimenting you years ago on your singing, and you said, oh, you can do it. Just make sure you find a key that works for you. Well, <laughs> yes. let's just say I still have not found that key. I can dance <laughs> but uh, and do a mean lip sync, but other than that, yeah. mm. <laughs> It is not good. Um, but what I'd like to do right now is let's take a listen in for a moment on her soundtrack, You Rescued Me. In a dark and lonely room, quiet as a tomb, she prayed. Oh, she prayed. Shameful. Forced to grow up way too fast, they say, oh, they say, haunted by the voices, take the easy way out, when it came to making choices, in the middle of her doubt, you rescued. What a powerful song. What a powerful story. God bless you and your work. If anyone out there is interested in adoption, what should they do? If they want to get involved, we've got a volunteer application right there. Again, we can plug them in. And we're very active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, kind of a little bit on the Twitter, but more Facebook and Instagram (laughs) and even on LinkedIn. Um, So we would love for them to connect with us socially. That's really one of the best places that we're able to communicate quickly when we have a need. Um, And we would love to just have them follow along on our journey. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Lee. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing out there. Well, it is just so great to hear your voice. And um, <laughs> well, you say that because and, I'm not singing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Catch up with an old friend and have a beautiful week. Remember to carry the light. Coming up next time on Carry the Light, fighting with your kid about technology. We'll talk to an expert on how to cease fire and learn how one man's heart attack jump-started his creativity, making landmarks around the world. For more information on how you can carry the light, follow us on Instagram at carrythelight underscore now or check out our website, carrythelight.com. I'd love to hear from you.